Hey, how's everybody doing? And welcome back to 125 Unfiltered, episode 43. And today I'm going to be talking more NBA playoffs, going to get into the first round recaps of the Western Conference series and going to talk a little bit uh, of the Eastern Conference second round matchup. But I am not here alone. Today I'm here with friend from UNC, Brendan McKinnon. Brendan, how's it going? I'm good. How are you, Josh? Doing great. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Love having these guests on, especially during these big events like the NBA playoffs. Now, before we hop into everything, just give a little background on your fandom and what teams you kind of root for and what you pay attention to. Okay, so um, I have uh, grown up around the game of basketball my entire life. My dad was a college basketball coach for 35 plus years. And uh, over the last eight years, he's been a head coach in the NBA G League with the uh, Colorado 14ers, who used to be with the Denver Nuggets, um, the Idaho Stampede, the uh, Springfield Armor, who were with the Nets, and most recently, the uh, Texas Legends, who were the affiliates of the Dallas Mavericks. Um, My fandom, uh, ever since I was little, I've been a huge Chicago Bulls fan. Um, Love them. Uh, But as of recently, um, because of all the experiences and stuff I've been able to have and how well the organization of not only the Dallas Mavericks, but the Texas Legends treated me, uh, I've been a huge fan of uh, Luka and the Mavericks. All right. So a lot of basketball background there with our newest guest, Brendan McKinnon. So strap up. And uh, we've got a really good episode for you coming here. And we're actually going to start off with those Dallas Mavericks Now, I watched a good amount of this series, a very up-and-down series. Mavericks win the first two in L.A., then the Clippers come back 2-2. Then they each steal another game uh, on the road, make it 3-3, and then we saw Game 7. We saw Kawhi and Paul George get the job done, even though Luka had an absolutely phenomenal uh, performance. But the Clippers win in 7. What were your first thoughts from the series uh, as a basketball fan and, and a Mavericks fan? Um, so basically the very first thing that I noticed, um, was watching both, uh, watching, I watched all seven games of the series and, uh, in the, uh, first couple games, every game that the Mavericks won, Tim Hardaway Jr. had 20 plus points. The way it seemed like the, uh, Clippers got the job done was they knew Luca was going to get the, get his. There was nothing they were going to be able to do with that. But if they shut everybody else down, then they were going to win that. They were going to win the game. Every single game that the Mavericks won, either uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. had 20-plus points or Dorian Finney-Smith had 18-plus. Kristaps Porzingis, with how poorly he played, it really watch, – watching him run around, it, it didn't know what – he didn't know whether he wanted to post up and – try and get the job done in the block or if he wanted to be a spot-up shooter that was the big big issue with his game um that i saw from the uh the series um paul george really came on came out and stepped up to be the uh number two guy for Kawhi. um it's it's very hard to stop them especially when uh both of them get going and then they get help from uh guys like rajon rondo who come up big defensively and uh, just those kind of guys, their role players, the big thing in this series was the, how well the role players were playing and if they were going to give you their 20-plus points or if they were going to just take a backseat. Yeah, I completely agree with you there. Uh, I had Tim Hardaway Jr. That was a big note for me. Not a great game seven when he really performed well in their wins, like you said. Uh, but Kawhi Leonard was absolutely phenomenal. He averaged 32 in the series on 61% from the field. That is just unreal. We we only see like centers do that. Uh, so big up uh, to Kawhi there for really stepping up because people were really calling him out uh, when they went down 3-2 and he got the job done. Like you said, Paul George was really solid, averaged around 23.5 per game, 46% from the field. Uh, Luca averaged 36, eight and 10. Uh, but yeah, I kind of saw it the same way. He didn't really have that much help when, when their uh, role players weren't shooting the ball. Well, uh, I, I think, uh, Reggie Jackson was a huge catalyst, especially in that game six. I think he, I think he had 25 in that game, the role players for the, for the Clippers, like another guy, Marcus Morris hit some big shots in game seven. I believe he had seven threes. Uh, those two guys, along with Kawhi and Paul George, 
really were the ones to lead the charge at the end uh, of the series. And that's, and it was when it mattered most. And I think that's why the Clippers ended up pulling this out. A big uh, thing that I noted in my last episode was the defensive adjustments by Ty Lue and the Clippers going small, taking Zubach out of the starting lineup, putting in Nicholas Batum and Reggie Jackson. It allowed them to switch on to Luca, even though Luca got his numbers, but it, I think uh, which people didn't really talk about much uh, like on the TV shows is it allows them to switch more with the other guys like a Hardaway Jr. or a Porzingis because although Porzingis is 7-3, you can put a Kawhi on him. You can put Kawhi on uh, Boban because he's such a good defender. And it, it was just a really solid series all around. And I think just because of those adjustments the Clippers made and the players who stepped up, I think that was the, the main decider because Luka and Kawhi both performed very, very well. Absolutely. I would agree with that. Uh, big, uh, big catalyst, I would also say, was uh, their substitutions between Rajan Rondo and Terrence Mann. Terrence Mann came out and first game did not look to uh, look to a lot, very hesitant, um, didn't know what he wanted to do. Um, but the last couple games came out, had 15, I believe, in the last game, uh, came out and really just uh, played his best basketball. And I think that was a big, big, big adjustment that they made uh, was switching between Rondo and Mann, switching on to Luca. Rondo played, Rondo has gotten with his age very scrappy defensively and learned to uh, play the pace, play the kind of game that he wants to uh, play. And when they, uh, when the Clippers get into that kind of flow with his uh, offense, it's, it's very hard to stop them. Yeah, I mean, this this has been uh, a long time coming for the Clippers to kind of step up in a moment like this. And I like how you pointed out Terrence Mann. Uh, he was really good in that game seven, came out of Florida State. I really liked his game uh, when he was a Seminole. And it was cool to see him kind of show out a nice young player that uh, the Clippers won't be able to really get due to the amount that they give up for Paul George. But before we wrap up this series and move on, uh, Dallas has some big answers or has some big uh, big questions to answer, rather. Porzingis has been reportedly unhappy with his role, being seen as kind of an afterthought instead of a co-star. Rick Carlisle, they haven't gotten out of the first round since 2011. Uh, maybe they need a second star next to Luka. What do you think is the, the a couple big solutions for this roster going forward into the next couple of years? Well, coming up with uh, in talking future, uh, the locking down Luca, which is what they're going to do with this two hundred million plus extension, which is I believe going to be the largest NBA largest contract in NBA history, uh, reportedly, and uh, it's really it's really hard with the uh, with Kristaps Porzingis making uh, having that contract one hundred fifty eight million over five years. It's a big hit on the cap for them. Um, one big piece is going to be locking down Dorian Finney-Smith and Tim Hardaway Jr. Those two played absolutely phenomenal in this series and uh, keeping them around because the biggest thing with the Mavericks is you need to have shooters and the Mavericks locking down Tim Hardaway Jr. as a shooter and locking down uh, Dorian Finney-Smith as one of their uh, culture guys would be huge for uh, the Mavericks. And bringing in, they really need to bring a co bring in a co-star. But the big problem is with that 158 million dollar uh, contract that Porzingis is on, uh, it, it creates kind of a difficult uh, scenario for them to bring in another star. Yeah, completely agree. I mean, Porzingis has been unlucky with with the injuries, with the ACL, and uh, I remember last playoffs he got hurt as well. But he just wasn't very aggressive in this in this series. He really hurt his value on the trade market, and kind of we saw that we thought that it was gonna be a Luca Porzingis uh, duo. It's just kind of turned into Luca, but I'm sure that they'll. Uh, I mean, Mark Cuban, the owner, he's going to want to make some moves. Uh, Rick Carlisle, I think he should be here to stay. I really like the development that he's had on some of these players. I think Jalen Brunson took a nice step this year who he can continue taking steps as like a potential sixth man. But I think uh, I think the Mavericks are going to be okay. They went up against a really, really good Clippers team who was kind of a wild card, but uh, they will be completely okay. Want to move on to the next series I want to talk about. Lakers and Suns. 
It was 2-2 when Anthony Davis went down and the Suns absolutely obliterated the Lakers in the next two games. They were even up 30 at halftime in game five, up 30 at a point in game six. And even though LeBron tried to lead the charge uh, at the end of game six, it was too little too late. Uh, led by Devin Booker's 47 points, they eliminated the Lakers and LeBron goes home for the first time in uh, in the, for the first time in the first round of his career, which is quite incredible at his age. Uh, but what were your thoughts on on this series, especially towards the end? Because with no Anthony Davis, the Lakers really needed some guys to step up, and they got the complete opposite of that with guys like uh, KCP and Schroeder kind of putting up goose eggs in a game. So my biggest uh, thing with that series was as soon as Anthony Davis went down, it was a big hit to their confidence. Their confidence went way down. You saw KCP refuse to shoot the ball. Uh, guys like Markeith Morris refused to shoot the ball. Um, when you have people, when you have your guys who are supposed to be there specifically to shoot, and they're not shooting it, you it's not going to be it's not going to be an easy series. And LeBron yet did his best, but when it's only one guy, it's very hard to uh, it's very hard to win, right? You got guys CP3, DeAndre Ayton, Devin Booker, they all come out. Uh, they play well. CP3 uh, ha- kind of had an injury throughout that series, but was able to uh, overcome it and play. And you see AD gets hurt, can't play, can't, uh, comes out, tries playing game six, re-aggregates the injury, he's out for the rest of the game. Um, it, it's things like that. There was an interesting thing I saw today. Um, back when they were in the bubble, that is the most rest and uh, – that Anthony Davis will ever have in a, in an NBA playoffs again, no travel, no, uh, no travel, no, um, uh, got to come back and just rest and was able to do that kind of stuff. Uh, you'll never be able to have that again in an NBA playoffs. So the big question is, will Anthony Davis be able to stay healthy and be a reliable number two for LeBron as he enters year 19 um, at 37 years old this upcoming season. And uh, if he, if the answer to that is no, it's going to be very hard for LeBron and AD to make it back to that championship. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Anthony Davis, when he's playing, and especially at his best top five player in the league, problem is there are just some times where he's not fully engaged. We kind of saw that in game one, but yeah, he's really injury prone. And that's a big problem for a guy like LeBron where, you know, LeBron, obviously one of the best players uh, to ever, ever play in the league, but uh, we kind of saw his limitations. Uh, He had a little bit of injury with his ankle, uh, but without another guy in a star driven league, he had a really bad first half. Uh, in game five and in game six, he uh, was a little bit better, but I, I think people wanted to see him be a little bit more aggressive, but this loss specifically definitely falls uh, more on the role players than LeBron. Probably could LeBron have been better uh, and put up like 40 or something like that in eliminate in an elimination game. Like Kawhi did obviously he could have, but Schroeder, he had zero points in game five, really bad first half in game six. That guy lost a lot of money. He should have taken that $84 million contract. Although someone's probably going to offer him around 20, like uh, Chicago or New York. So he'll be fine financially, but these guys really just didn't play well for the Lakers. And on the other hand, guys for the Suns played exceptionally well. Aiton had a phenomenal series, really like what McCall Bridges did defensively, trying to contain LeBron and obviously Devin Booker. This is someone that we, we really need to start elevating, uh, and talk, start talking about as a superstar because he can score from all over the court. He has a good amount of Kobe in his game. He plays for Kobe. Uh, he said that in his post-game interview in game six. And uh, when it seemed like the Lakers were coming back at the end, I knew that the Suns were going to be okay because they have CP3. Chris Paul is the, one of the best game managers this game has ever seen. And even not at 100%, he has so much impact on the game. He com- he uh, sl- uh, composed that Suns team, didn't let them get out of control. And he went on a 7-0 run, I believe. He had, I think he had two mid-range shots and a, a three-point assist to Cam Johnson. And for me, that was the most important stretch of that second half because the Lakers were kind of making a little bit of a run and CP3 slowed it all down, uh, held up the stop sign and got the Suns through. I would agree. I would definitely agree with you on that. CP3 is a fantastic game manager. You know, um, he's he's been like that since uh, his days with the Pelic with the not Pelicans, 
the uh, back when New, uh, New Orleans was Hornets. He's been he's been like that throughout his entire career. You know, learning being that the one thing you always need on a championship team is a veteran. And when one of your stars is 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 a veteran like that, he commands the attention of the locker room. He commands the uh, the attention of the defense. He is able to slow down that game and slow down the pace of the game to uh, the level that he wants to play at. And when you have a player like that, uh, it's it's hard. It's it's really hard to lose. Yeah, and, and when your other star is a Devin Booker, first year in the playoffs, same with guys like Aiton and Bridges. Uh, I, I love this match from the start. I thought it was one of the best offseason moves, and uh, I, I'll to get into it in the in the next episode because I want to see a couple more games uh, in the Western Conference semifinals. But we saw what Phoenix did to the Nuggets last night. They won a 16-0 run, really solid game from guys like Chris Paul, McCall Bridges, and th- this is a really good team. LeBron... Uh, I, I mean, we can get into this at the end, obviously, because we talked about it a little bit before, but the whole LeBron versus MJ debate, I'm team MJ. I know you're team LeBron, but uh, LeBron lost to a really good team here. He lost to a really well-coached, good defensive team with offensive stars in the Phoenix Suns. And this won't, this will never, losses like this won't ever put LeBron down in the rankings. I mean, it's, it's uh, only things can push him up uh, from here. Uh, but that, that was a really fun series to watch. We'll see how Phoenix does. Uh, I do want to move on to another series, though, in the Western Conference. We'll, do, we'll spend a little bit of time on this and then transition over to the Eastern Conference. But Blazers and Nuggets, Nuggets 1-6. This, this series was also 2-2 uh, through four games, but the Nuggets stole uh, the last two games, even with a 55-point performance from Damian Lillard. Now, the first question I want to ask you, uh, Damian Lillard, was phenomenal for the most part in this series. Again, had that 55-point performance, hitting game-tying threes all over the place, but they still lost. And in my opinion, they don't have the role players and the a co-star next to him uh, necessary to get a championship. And after a while, stars get tired. So I think this upcoming season for the Blazers is their kind of last hope to keep Damian Lillard for good or else he could be the next big star to request out. So what do you think uh, of the Blazers this past series and moving forward? So this past series with the Blazers, um, you know, we saw the reasons why uh, CJ McCollum is not an all-star. He's not all NBA, right? He comes out, uh, doesn't have, misses shots down the stretch of big games. Um, You know, Damian Lillard comes out, finds him. He's going, looking for him to be his, his old reliable comes up shorthanded. Um, things like that really can't happen when you're trying to keep a star with the, like such a small market with the Blazers, right? You know, th- the way you win in small markets is you draft well, you trade well, you manage well. When you have guys like uh, Damian Lillard, miss, uh, not Damian, CJ McCollum missing shots down the stretch. Um, you don't have bigs that you can role players, as you mentioned, uh, that you can throw at guys like Jokic. Um guys that could uh, play step up and play big defensively. Um, And you just have uh, just not a lot of veterans on that team that can come out and, and close out games. You have, uh, you know, Dame coming up big, um, but you need other guys, right? And with a small market like the Blazers, it's hard to get those guys. This off season is the biggest one for the trailblazers in pretty much their, their history as, as a franchise. They have to find a second star. If they don't, he's gone. There's no doubt in my mind that Dame leaves if they don't find him a second star or, or CJ doesn't come out and have the biggest year of his career. If one of those two things has to happen or, or Damian, Damian Lillard is out. Yeah, I, I th- I'm kind of a believer in the fact that CJ McCollum needs to be the one traded to really mix up this team. They, they've had some continuity for a while now at the guard spot. They traded for Norman Powell. I love Norman Powell as a Raptor fan. I think they definitely should re-sign him. I think he's a, a pretty good compliment player at the right price. But CJ McCollum is the perfect, perfect trade bait to grab someone good. He was I kind of think of uh, the scenario with the Raptors when they traded for Kawhi Leonard. You had an all-star, a top scorer, and DeMar DeRozan. He, one, could match salary, and two, he's a good enough player to go out and get someone better. And I think McCollum is going to be the one to take the fall for Portland. 
I think they really need to upgrade at the forward spot. I love Robert Covington. I think he's fine. Carmelo Anthony off the bench, he's pretty good too. But Yusuf Nurkic, my goodness, this dude needs to go. He is a liability defensively. He let uh, Jokic not only destroy him in the paint to get points, but he let him control the game. They have to go out and get a way better center defensively. I've heard Carl Anthony Towns' name thrown out there. But this team was horrible on defense. Denver, they could, or for Denver, they could not stop that pick and roll with Jokic or whether it's Monte Morris or, uh, or Austin Rivers or, you know, a, um, Michael Porter Jr. had a really solid first half in, in game six, uh, putting up 26, I believe 22 in the first quarter. He's a huge X factor for their series against Phoenix. But no matter which way you see it, this Portland team could not defend. And no matter how good Damian Lillard was and how clutch he was, when this team needed stops, they were unable to do so. That's why uh, Terry Stotts is gone. And that's why I see this team having a huge shakeup in the offseason. I could not agree with you more. Dad. You summed it up perfectly. Nurkic, big liability on defense. For guys like when you're, when you're going up in that Western Conference, you are going to be playing against dominant big men. And if you're going to have Yusuf Nurkic as your center, you're, you're going to get destroyed every single time. He, he, he's a huge liability on defense. You have to have somebody who's going to anchor your defense. Now, a guy like uh, Nerlens Noel, who played very well defensively with the Knicks this year, I could see that being a, being a defensive anchor. You need to get somebody who's going to be tough as nails and gritty. And right now, they, the Portland Trailblazers just do not have that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm, I'm really interested to see where this Portland team goes, but I, I want to give some credit to the Denver Nuggets. Uh, Michael Malone is a really underrated coach. I love what he has done with this team. I did not expect them to do anything in the playoffs without Jamal Murray, but they, they're just as good. They run that pick and roll so well, and it's so deadly in the playoffs. Jokic is going to be the MVP probably this year. He played phenomenal in that series, really took uh, advantage of the mismatches with Nurkic and even uh, Enos Kanter off the bench for Portland. But uh, I questioned the guards the past few episodes, and I was extremely impressed. Monte Morris is the ideal guy off the bench. I kind of see him like Denver's Jordan Clarkson. He can go out and score 20 a game uh, on any given night. Really, really good score. Uh, Faku Campazzo, really good defender. He is a smart player, really uh, crafty passer. Love his game. And then Austin Rivers got picked off. Uh, he had a, a 10 game, 10 day contract, I believe, with Denver. He shows out in that game three, and even in game five and six, he made some huge, huge shots. But at the end of the day, it comes down to Big Joker, and he was the best player in the series. And uh, I do definitely want to uh, bring up Aaron Gordon as well. Really good, versatile player, especially defensively. Did a good job on Damian Lillard. And, and watching that game last night with Phoenix and Denver, even though Phoenix won, this Denver team can make a run still, even without their star point guard. I believe you're correct. Um, their huge pickup, I have to say, this, this, uh, this year was trading, making that trade for Aaron Gordon. Uh, a lot of people didn't see because, you know, he's playing with the Magic. But my God, he is... When put in the right system and given the given the right help, that man plays to somewhat sometimes at an all-star level. And if you have a guy who can come out and play that well defensively and that well offensively, you're 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 gonna be able to be in, put in position to to win games. And you have you know the MVP of the league in Jokic, and uh, when you pair those two together and give them options, uh, shooters like Austin Rivers to come out and have big games. Uh, it's very hard to stop you uh, defensively. Yeah, and again, we'll, we'll see how this Denver team uh, responds to their loss against Phoenix. I'll be talking about that probably tomorrow because I think the Jazz and the Clippers play tonight. I just want to get one game uh, under their belts just to see uh, how the Western Conference plays out after the first game. But really good first round. Uh, matchups in the West uh, and in the second round. I'm really excited to see all four of those teams, uh, if it serves me right, have not won a championship. 
uh, or have uh, not won one in, in since like the 60s or 70s. I think that goes for all eight teams in the playoffs. So I'm really excited there. Do you want to talk about the Eastern Conference a little bit? Uh, but we're going to talk about the second round mainly. The Nets are two games into their series and the Sixers are only one. But the first round there, extremely uneventful. We had all series being finished uh, in five or less. We had Milwaukee sweep Miami. So let's actually start with the Brooklyn Nets and the Milwaukee Bucks. Now people saw, including me, the Milwaukee Bucks as a huge threat to knock off Brooklyn. And in the first minute of game one, James Harden goes out with a right hamstring injury. And people are probably thinking, yo, Milwaukee has a good shot. Now they don't have James Harden, but they have just been absolutely obliterated by this Brooklyn team. Kevin Durant had 29 and 32 in, uh, in both games, respectively. Kyrie Irving has been extremely good as well. I love the role players for Brooklyn. Blake Griffin has given this team such a spark and such, I mean, those energy plays that he's dunking again. He dunked on Giannis yesterday. Guys like Bruce Brown are making hustle plays. Joe Harris being as consistent as he always is. And they beat Milwaukee by 40 last night. Well, again, all, all of that, all that you say, you know, it comes down to when you watch that team, right? And you go out and, and like, you can see it as a fan, just as a fan of basketball. They are having fun. I, there is not a single team in this league that is having as much fun as the Brooklyn Nets are, right? You go out and you see guys like Blake Griffin making these spectacular dunks, getting his guys energized. As you said, Bruce Brown making uh, huge hustle plays. And everything. if you look at that entire Nets bench, everybody's all on their feet everybody's on their feet cheering on their guys and and that whole that whole arena is loud as hell they they all want they they all want the same thing they all want a championship and they're they're having a great time doing it kd comes out has a big game you don't see guys getting jealous you don't see guys wanting theirs everybody is focused on the one their their team goal and you see that in their ball movement Everybody's trying to make the, the next the next best play. Everybody's moving the ball. I'm going to pass up my good shot for a great shot. You know, I have Joe Harris, one of the best shooters in the league right now. I'm, I'm passing my good shot for, for his great shot. Th- things like that. And it, it's just hard to stop when uh, you have two guys that command uh, such control of the defense. What, what are you going to – you have Drew Holiday has to go guard Kyrie for, for uh, 42 minutes. KD comes and takes big control of the offense. You, you have there, there's really not a lot of answers for either of those guys. Yeah, I do think Milwaukee should be playing these guys a lot closer. They beat KD and Kyrie in the regular season. I know it's the regular season, and Durant and Irving have definitely elevated their games to their playoff level but I expect more out of Milwaukee. Chris Middleton is 13 of 43 in this series. He has scored 30 points the entire series. That is absolutely unacceptable for a number two option. This is a guy who I kind of saw, or I was really holiday, but Chris Middleton had to be consistent. He had to put up 20 plus points a game to really compete with these Brooklyn Nets. And he's just been horrible. We've seen this before. He kind of played like this against Toronto, kind of played like it against Miami, except for that game four when they won. But Again, 13 of 43, 6 of 23 in game one. That's not going to get it done. We all know Giannis is not a huge scoring threat in terms of isolation scoring and jump shots. He needs to be downhill. He needs to get to the rim and he needs to get to the free throw line and make his free throws. And a lot of the offensive burden lies on Milton and Holiday because they can shoot outside jumpers. And Holiday's been okay, but I still expect more from him offensively. Six of 10 uh, in game two. Why not shoot 15 shots? Why is Middleton taking 20 and missing 13 of them? Uh, I mean, and defensively, this is supposed to be a really good defensive team with a defensive player of the year in Giannis, Antet- uh, in Giannis Antetokounmpo, and they can't guard anyone. Kevin Durant, he might just be the best player in basketball right now because he's just scoring all over the place, and Milwaukee has no answer. And if they don't figure out in game three, they're going to get swept. I, I 100% agree with you. The, the, uh, it looks like the Bucks don't have an identity right now. When you watch that team, they don't know what they are. They and you know they had a whole regular season to figure that out. And I believe when they went up against the Heat, they figured it out. But as soon as they as soon as they got into that second round, if you look back at the last 
last two years uh, with, with Chris Middleton in the second round. He hasn't shown up. He never shows up in the second round. I couldn't tell you why, but you go back and you look through his history. He, he disappears completely. He doesn't show up in those games. And it's the reason they lost Toronto. It's the reason they lost to um, uh, who they, who they play last year. It's the reason they lost to, they lost to Miami last year. And it's the reason they're going to lose to Brooklyn again this year. When Chris Middleton does not show up in games, the, the Milwaukee Bucks lose in the playoffs. And, and that's been the story throughout their, the, uh, the whole time Chris Middleton and Giannis have been together. And it's going to be the story again this year. Definitely. And I think this is finally the year because it's been in the talks, even though it's only his third year, but I think this is uh, coach Budenholzer's last season, especially if they get swept because this team has had really high expectations. You have an MVP on your roster. You have a fantastic two-way guard in Drew Holiday that you traded for this offseason. You have a good center in Brooke Lopez, and you've got a good score in Middleton. I mean, I know DiVincenzo's out, but you got guys like Forbes and Portis off the bench who can make plays and make shots. Boonholzer, what are you doing? I think they were playing zone for a bit last night. Why are you playing zone against against Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, Joe Harris, these guys who can make outside shots? I just don't understand. And Giannis... Again, who's considered one of the best defenders. Why aren't you playing good defense? Why aren't you containing Kevin Durant? Because he exploded for 32 and three quarters. Now, the last question I want to ask before we go into the, the last series, it's the question that I've kind of been thinking of ever since the start of the season, is if the Nets need James Harden to win a championship because now he's injured. We don't know when he's going to come back. I have the mindset. They don't even need James Harden to win this whole thing. And if they don't have James Harden, I'm still picking them to win this whole thing because of how well they are playing together and uh, the, the role players, how well they are filling in the holes uh, defensively and in terms of the very small things. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, I, I, I agree with you. I don't see anybody without, even without James Harden, I don't see anybody stopping Brooklyn. You have guys like Blake Griffin who can elevate their game to play, to play like they used to, right? You go out, hit, uh, believe in game one, he had uh, 18 and 14. He comes out and uh, annihilates, plays with huge energy. Um, the scary thing is they're doing all of this without James Harden and Spencer Dinwiddie, who was out at the beginning of the season with an ACL tear. He's been done all year. Next year, they, they're going to come out. They'll have James Harden. They'll have Dinwiddie off the bench. Blake Griffin. It, it's going to be. It, it, it's going to be a. It's going to be a, a massacre. The, these guys are on a whole nother level. Their their bench, their depth is good. Their stars are good. They're, there's nothing you can do to stop this team. Yeah, and I'm kind of waiting for that team to really compete uh, with the Brooklyn Nets. Maybe it'll be this round. That game three is going to be huge, uh, which will be in Milwaukee. Uh, Maybe it'll be the Sixers or the Hawks in the next round or a Western Conference team. Either way, it is clear that the Brooklyn Nets are the favorites to win the finals. Want to get to this last series. Hawks and Sixers are very, very fun uh, and eventful game one. The Atlanta Hawks dominated for 46 minutes. And then it all came crashing down. They were blowing their 20 or so point lead that they held the entire game. I believe it was a 12 point game with two minutes left and it got to two or three a few times because I, I guess they couldn't They didn't know how to break a press. Uh, but regardless, thanks to uh, some huge, uh, that huge alley-oop from John Collins and the three pointer by Bogdanovich, the Hawks escaped Philadelphia stealing a game and uh, securing home court advantage uh, with a, I believe it was 128, 124. Uh, that was a very big game. And I think it really opened a lot of people's eyes to how for real the Hawks are. So uh, I, I'd like to talk about uh, the, their collapse towards the end. Uh, I believe that had a lot to do with the lack of experience on their team, right? Uh, coming from someone who's played uh, basketball their whole career and, and, and done the, uh, dealt with presses and things before it, it all comes down to your composure and your experience in these situations. And when you're thrown in and uh, are you prepared? Does your coach take you out and practice, practice you with that press? Are you prepared for that to be thrown at you? And to be quite honest with you, it did not look like the Hawks were prepared for that. Luckily they had some uh, 
plays where they got bailed out, like you said, the Bogdanovich three and the uh, alley-oop from Collins. Uh, they had some lucky plays at the end that, that gave them the win, but it all comes down to experience. And the big thing is, are you going to be uh, with the, with the Hawks? They're, they're not too experienced. Now it comes down to, will Trey Young be able to lead this team and keep them calm under pressure in these big moments? Yeah, because even Trey Young looked very rattled by the press. Got to give Philadelphia credit there for kind of bringing the game back, although it was too late. Ben Simmons, we all know how good of a defender he is. Something that really uh, confused me with the Hawks. Uh, there was a moment in the press break, and it was for the most part. Uh, there was their lineup uh, when they tried to break a press, and I think it was when Ben Simmons got a steal right under the basket and put it up f- uh, to get it back with, to within four or two. They had Trey Young, Bogdanovich, guards, and then they had John Collins, Clint Capella, and Danilo Gallinari. Why in the heck do you have two guards on the court when you're trying to break a press? In my opinion, and we see it in college a lot, but maybe even in the NBA they need it. You need to have, in my opinion, at least four guards on the court because if they're going to foul you immediately after that, you can uh, sub in your big in uh, Clint Capella or even a John Collins if you want. But they just didn't have guys there to to carry the ball there was a point where they had four guys guarding Trey Young and Bogdanovich and there were two guys standing at the end of the court not doing anything that's bad coaching uh that's like you said they were not the they were unprepared for that moment and they were lucky that they built such a lead and they were lucky that the Sixers couldn't make their free throws they were 24 of 35 that's going to be a problem for Philadelphia that's you are exactly correct um one of the big things in uh basketball is when you are in, the, in those situations and you are being pressed, you want to have people that can handle the ball, right? And as you said, John Collins, Clint Capella, not options, not good options. You, the, the, it, again, lack of experience from the, from the coaching staff and the, and the players themselves to not bring out who they need to have, the, the player personnel that they need to have in those situations really hurts you. Um, now, the, the Sixers, as you said, the Sixers' poor uh, free throw shooting uh, was a big factor. And to be quite honest with you, the uh, injury that uh, Joel Embiid sustained in the uh, first round against um, the Washington Wizards was, uh, I, I think, a big factor in that. As uh, Embiid looked a little bit slow, a little sluggish, trying to get back into his own game, um, uh, he played. He played pretty well, but um, sometimes when after coming off that injury, you just have to get back into the flow of things. And I fully expect them to, for him to do that in game two. Yeah, and even with that injury, he had thirty nine. He was still dominant. Uh, I, I mean, Capella is a better option than. Alex Len or Daniel Gafford when they played the Wizards, but Embiid is unstoppable when healthy. Uh, the Hawks shooting was another big factor this game. They made 23 pointers, 20 of 47. They were, especially that third quarter, they were on fire. Uh, and, and the first half to really the whole game, they were shooting the ball really, really well. And that's why they had such a big lead. I think my X factor in the last series uh, for the Sixers was Tobias Harris. I'm going to go with Ben Simmons this series because one, his free throw shooting, I, I it's just so bad. He needs to learn how to shoot a basketball. It's insane. If he learns how to shoot a basketball, he'll be one of the best players in the NBA. But that, it's that, also that... for for me, he's just passive a lot of the times. Yes, uh, you might say, well, Joshua, he was seven for seven. He made all of his shots. Why not shoot 10 shots? Why not shoot 14 shots if you're going to make all of them? Be aggressive. Get into the paint. Get out on the fast break. I know he's a pass first player, but Ben Simmons can't be putting up 13-point nights, 15-point nights, because this Atlanta Hawks team can score, and they can score in bunches. I 100% agree with you. There's been a lack of aggressiveness all all year from Ben Simmons. Um, The big thing has always been, will he develop a jump shot? Is he going to develop a jump shot? And to be quite honest with you, I don't think he's ever going to be ready to develop that part of his game. He seems to not care either. He has no will to develop a jump shot, which to me is – incredible as like I've said I've been around basketball my entire life with my dad being uh uh around these NBA guys they have people who are specifically designed in that organization to help you with your shooting you go out after practice my uh, my dad used to work for the Lakers 
guy like guys like Steve Nash, Kobe Bryant, he'd go rebound for them. They have a full practice, full practice. Guys, Steve Nash, Kobe Bryant, walk up to you, walk up to, hey, can you help me, uh, can you help me work out? We had full, full two-hour practice, this whole thing, and they're going up and they're continuing to work on their game after practice. You don't, I, I don't think you see Ben Simmons going up and saying, hey, could you rebound for me? Could you uh, help me develop my shot? Is there anything looking in and seeing what he needs to get right? He's, he's heard so much criticism about his shot, jump shot that I feel like he's been, he's, he's ignored it because he's just been annoyed by it. Yeah, and in my opinion, this is going to be uh, the thing that holds the Sixers back from a championship. Now, do I think this is uh, an upset alert, even though the Hawks won game one? I still think the Sixers will win this series. I have full confidence in Doc Rivers to get this team back on track. I think uh, I'm sure guys like Tobias Harris um, and and, and Simmons will play a little bit better in game two it was really defensively uh that was more of their problem than offensively obviously Embiid is going to be a monster and he's going to be the best player on the floor uh for Philadelphia and as long as he stays healthy I say I think they'll take care of the Hawks probably in about six games I see them winning game two now if the Hawks win game two I'm going to be worried I'm going to be really worried because Philadelphia is not a good road team they are actually a really good home team and it's going to be really interesting because when the game gets tight and you have to shoot free throws, are the Hawks going to copy the Wizards and hack a Simmons? I guess whatever they call it, hack a shack, hack a Ben Simmons. Uh, I think that's going to be an interesting thing to play out. But overall, these have been uh, these playoffs have been extremely interesting. We have eight teams who have not won a championship in a while or ever. So I think it's going to be uh, it's going to be a fun fun ride all the way to the end. Now, before we wrap up, uh, definitely have a couple, just a few short topics. But uh, do, what's your favorite story? Uh, being with your dad working for uh, those NBA teams, do you have a, a noticeable one uh, with a certain uh, a certain player? Yes, um, I actually have two. I can be very quick about it. Um, the first one is back when uh, my dad was the head coach of the uh, Los Angeles Defenders, which was the Lakers G League team at the time. They're now the they're now the Lakers, the but they were the Defenders. Um, back when uh, Coach Mike D'Antoni was the back when they were they were uh, not very good, but. Uh, uh, so my dad was very good friends with uh, Coach D'Antoni and uh, very involved. He'd done a ton of clinics and uh, stuff down in uh, Mexico and fundraisers with Steve Nash. Um, so he was very cl- uh, he was pretty close with Steve Nash at the time. And um, I was very fortunate enough to go visit my dad. Um, we stay down uh, uh, in North Carolina as he goes and gets different jobs. So I went and visited him uh, in LA when I was about 13 years old. Uh, and I remember him telling me that he was going to take me to a practice. Um, my one stipulation though, was coach D'Antoni, coach D'Antoni told my dad that I had to sit in this one chair in the corner of the uh, practice facility and just watch the Lakers, Lakers practice. Uh, Kobe was there, Kobe was hurt at the time. Um, so he wasn't practicing with the team, but he was at practice. Um, my, uh, I, was, I was sitting there. I had guys like Jody Meeks, Steve Blake come up to me, introduce themselves. Um, uh, Nick Young, Swaggy P, I got to meet him. Uh, but I had to stay glued to the seat. Um, so I watched the practice. Everything's really cool. Um, uh, they wrap up practice and I'm looking around sitting in my seat and my dad goes, uh, like I mentioned how Steve Nash would like to get uh, jump shots up after practice. My dad went to the opposite end of the court on one of those side rims to rebound for Steve Nash. So my dad was not paying attention and coach D'Antoni was nowhere to be seen. And I'm sitting on the, towards the right end of the court and towards the, uh, middle next to the uh court is like the stretching and like some kind of some weightlifting stuff um that they have uh sitting there and I look over and who else do I see but Kobe Bryant and you know me being this 13 year old kid I'm like oh my god 
that's Kobe. Like, oh my, like, oh my, I'm, I'm like, my mind is blown, but I'm, I'm supposed to be glued to the seat. I'm not allowed to move. So I look around and see my dad's over there and not paying attention. And so I just, all I remember is getting up and running over to him and just kind of standing there. Now, the funny thing about Kobe is no one's allowed to talk to Kobe. Nobody. At all of like his practices that he's like not participating in, he has like this secretary that sits with him, right? And he follows him around everywhere. If you want to talk to Kobe, you have to talk to the secretary first and then you can talk to Kobe. So I run up to Kobe and his secretary just kind of like panics and is like, oh my God, like you're not supposed to, to do that. And he goes to say something to me. And I remember Kobe just puts a finger up towards the secretary and goes, I got this. And he looks at me and he goes, hey, are you, uh, are you Bob's son? And I starstruck, absolutely starstruck, just look at him and nod my head, yes. And big bug eyes. And he goes, well, you should probably get back to your seat. You don't want to get in trouble with your dad. And I go and nod my head yes again and sprint back to my seat and hit the seat. And my dad looks over at me and I'm sitting there waving at him. And my dad didn't know that story until like two years ago. So wow. that, that's my, that's my Kobe story. That is really funny. I mean, I, I mean, I never got to meet Kobe in person, but that, I mean, I can't imagine like the temptation just sitting there as a kid, you know, you see one of the best players ever to play sitting there and just run over. I feel like it was probably worth it for you in the end. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I would, I would do it. I would do it twice over if I could. Yeah. Now I haven't met as many players as you probably, but I guess I'll tell uh, one of my favorite stories of meeting uh, an NBA player. I actually met Shaquille O'Neal in Atlanta. Uh, and it was, it's a, it's a more simple story, but I was in Atlanta visiting some family and we went to this little kind of diner and, you know, it's like one of those diners where it's kind of, kind of like small and it's very cheap and affordable, but the food's all obviously pretty good. Mm -hmm. And we were sitting down at a booth and uh, me and I think my brother uh, and I think uh, my parents look over and we see this big guy sitting at like the bar just by himself at one of these local diners in Atlanta. And I think we are, we're kind of whispering and I think my dad goes, I think that's Shaquille O'Neal. And we didn't know because I'm a big believer in kind of not bothering these guys. They're just normal people like us. I don't want to, you know, be the annoying little kid asking for a photo, asking for this and that. But I did kind of want to go up and say hi. And uh, we ended up going up and saying hello to Shaquille O'Neal. And he was, I mean, super nice guy, but it was just funny. It was, you know, Shaquille O'Neal just eating at this uh, random restaurant in Atlanta. And I just remember putting my hand up to his hand because I said, I was like, how big are your hands? Because I heard that like he has these like shoe size hands. And I put my hand up and it seemed like his hand was bigger than my entire face. And I'm probably nine or 10 <laughs> at the time. And that's the story of me meeting Shaquille O'Neal. Uh, so that was obviously a really cool uh, moment because I mean, hey, it's Shaq. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've gotten to meet uh, quite a few people. Um, my, my favorite story though is... Uh, so my cousin, uh, as I mentioned, I was a big Bulls fan growing up. Uh, I still am. Um, but uh, like I never had that like devout love from being like a young kid with the Mavericks. But my cousin, uh, my cousin, uh, Jake, a huge Mavericks fan, has loved him since since birth. He's a big, big Dallas guy, loves the Mavericks, loves the Cowboys, all of them. Um but it was uh, Dirk's uh, second to last season. And uh, we go in and right before the Mavs are about to play the um, Jazz. Um, and we go in the locker room before the game. And Coach Carlisle had told my dad to um, just uh, bring us bring us over to, uh, bring us over to the office to say hi. And so we're walking and my cousin Jake is in, uh, came with us. He, he, he'd come down. Um, and we go and, uh, we're, ta uh, we're talking in coach Carlisle's office. And then he goes, uh, Bob and Suzanne, which are my, uh, mom and dad, 
uh, you guys stay here. Um, you, kids, follow me. So me, my little brother, and Jake uh, follow Coach Carlisle into the locker room. And he takes us around every single part of the locker room. We meet everybody on that team. And we're like, oh, my God, we meet um, Andrew Bogut, who was with them at the time. We met um, uh, Seth Curry um, and uh, all these guys. And it was, it was really, really cool. Uh, JJ, JJ Berea. Um, Jay, by the way, JJ Berea, super nice guy. One of the best, nicest dudes I've ever met in my life. But, um, we're walking around and coach Carlisle in the Mavs, uh, like little like locker room, it's attached to a, uh, where they have their media days, their, uh, their like court where they practice at. And, um, he taught my cousin Jake how to like shoot a basketball properly, which was like so cool to learn from like and be a big time NBA coach, NBA champion. Like, and so we're walking back up and uh, Dirk is my cousin, Jake's idol, like favorite person ever. Um, and we walk up and coach Carl's like, you guys stay right here. We'll be, I'll be right back. And he goes into uh, like the, the part, the part where all the like lockers are and everything. And he's like, uh, we, he's like, Hey guys, come here. And so we walk around the corner and Dirk is standing there and he's like, I, I want you guys to meet Dirk Nowitzki. And so like, I'm like, Oh my God. And I like shake his hand. I'm like, I'm so nice to meet you. My little brother shakes his hand. And my cousin Jake is just standing there like starstruck. Can't get words out. Can't do anything. He's just flabbergasted. And we got pictures with him. He's super nice guy. And just, just really cool. Yeah, man, you got some really, really good stories. Uh, some that I hope to have when, whenever I get older. Um, but yeah, we are approaching. We are over fifty minutes currently for this episode. Uh, this has been just a phenomenal episode. Uh, I think d- d- probably gonna have to wrap it up here so it doesn't get around like an hour or something like that. Uh, it just seems like all my guest episodes keep getting longer and longer. But uh, Brendan, thank you so much for coming on. You were fantastic guest. Had some fantastic conversations, and I think the story, the little story time at the end, is gonna be uh, very fun for the for the listeners to hear about because uh, it's not every day you meet guys like. Kobe or Shaq or, or people like that. But uh, uh, with that being said, any, any last words, any bold predictions come up for the finals or anything? Uh, no, I, I, thanks for having me on. It was a, it was a blast talking to you. Um, uh, I just hope the Nets lose. <laughs> Man. Yeah. I mean, those, I mean, we'll see how the Nets uh, let's see if the Nets can beat out uh, Milwaukee as they're up 2 0. And, uh, again, I'll probably I'll try to get an episode out probably tomorrow. Uh, it'll be a shorter one. Uh, I'll be talking about Phoenix and Denver more uh, in depth, and I'll be talking about the Clippers and the Jazz as they play tonight, Game One. Also, the Hawks and the Sixers play tonight in Game Two. But with that being said, that's all I have for you today. Thank you so much for listening to One Twenty Five Unfiltered, and I'll speak to you next time.